This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning, Bridgeway. I'm grateful to be here with you this morning. And uh, I get to bring uh, the word this morning, which I'm excited about because I thought what better time than as we're exiting the dreadful winter and heading into what is hopefully a beautiful spring. uh, And as Easter is upon us, that what better time to talk about this idea of happiness. And so I actually want you to help me out this morning. I want you to turn to somebody next to you, if you can, if they're in reach, and, and tell them one thing that brings you happiness. Go. See, I, I knew once I gave that task, get the people talking. I love it. Uh, I got to be honest, though, didn't appreciate it. Heard somebody say short sermons. So <laughs> I'm going to do my best, okay? Uh, But we are, we're kicking off this morning asking the question, what makes you happy? And I want to dive right in this morning. So what, uh, here's, here's one of the crazy things that I believe about happiness. I think this, every time in our culture that we live in, that we open up a magazine, uh, we flip on the television, or we, we listen to the radio, or we surf the interwebs as the cool kids call it. I believe that we, find, that we find that there's people who we've never met before promising to show us how to be happy. You know what I'm saying? These ads, these commercials. But if I'm being honest, uh, I bet a lot of us have maybe fallen for some of those things before. It's like, oh man, if I only had that thing that they're selling me in this ad, then that would bring me some form of happiness. And this morning, I actually brought one of those things for me when I was a child here to share with you. Um, I don't know if uh, any of you in here have ever seen the Home Alone movies around Christmas time, but there was this commercial when I was growing up in the 90s for this thing from the second movie, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York City, uh, that I just knew that if they ever sold this thing, I, I, I needed it. I had to have it, and it would make me happy. And I brought, I brought it here with me this morning. How many of you are familiar uh, with this thing right here? Have you ever seen Home Alone 2? This is a, a device called a deluxe talk boy that came right from the movie where the main character, Kevin, uses this uh, to uh, get into all sorts of shenanigans. But you can record your voice and then play it back in either like slow, normal, or fast motion and use it for all sorts of uh, nefarious things, right? And uh, I used this as a younger brother on my sister more times than I could count. And I remember getting it one year for Christmas and being like, oh, the holy of holies in my hand. The deluxe talk boy. And you know what's crazy about this thing is that, uh, A, I still have it. But B, I put batteries in this thing and it still works. Like they don't, they don't make things like they used to, right? And uh, maybe for you, it wasn't necessarily a, a talk boy from the Home Alone movies. Uh, but maybe for you, uh, it's something else that you thought would bring you happiness or you were convinced would bring you happiness. And I want to I dive into this idea this morning uh, that I just believe is true. I wonder if sometimes maybe we think that these things will make us happy because we're confused about what will actually bring happiness to us. And so here's the, here's the through line this morning that you're going to hear throughout this morning's message, and it's this. It's that happiness is more about who than what. Think about it. When you have the right people around you, 
it doesn't matter what you have. Am I right? Check this out. I want you to think about some of your old stuff. Some of the old things that you've had. Maybe it's an old car that you just, oh, you think about that car, right? It just brings back memories. Or an old phone or an old TV or something, whatever it may be. I want you to think about one of those things in your life. And when you first got it, I bet you were super excited. Because why wouldn't you be? It was brand new. It was this thing you'd wanted. And yet at some point in all of these things, life cycles, they're not new anymore. And all of a sudden, we felt like we needed a new one of those things. You see, listen, if, if, if happiness was all about stuff, then wouldn't we just buy something once and it lead to like everlasting happiness through our entire life? But the reality is this, and I believe a lot of us already know this, the reality is that stuff makes us happy for a short time, but it's like caffeine happiness. It wears off over time. And so I can think of, of times that I've even been on mission trips or other experiences where I've met people who, have had, who had less than me, and, and yet they were happier than me. And I believe that that's because when you think about it, happy, happiness and stuff aren't as connected as we think they are. Think about, I want you to think about the end of your life for a second. Not trying to be morbid, but just think about the end of your life for a second. I believe this, at the end of people, people's lives, we typically want to be surrounded with our loved ones, surrounded by the people that we love. People at the end of their lives, they don't typically say, can someone bring me my Nikes so I can say goodbye? I need a minute alone with my shoes. Like, it doesn't happen, Right? We typically want to be surrounded by the people that we love near the end. See, the end of our lives won't be about the what's. You see, we'll want to be surrounded by the who's that mattered most to us. When I say that, don't think like how the Grinch stole Christmas with a fa, he, do, re, fa. Like, that's not the who's I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people that you love and care about. And so with that in mind this morning, I want to have a particular passage of Scripture play as the backbone of our conversation. And so this morning, we're going to open our Bibles up to the book of Ruth and look at chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. And so if you have your Bibles in front of you, we're looking at Ruth chapter 1, 16 to 18. As you look that up, I'm going to give you some context for the part of the story that we're about to hear about. And so we're diving in with this woman named Naomi. And she's married to a man named Elimelech. Now, if any of you have kids that are, uh, that are unborn, about to be born, and you're searching for names, Elimelech, right at the top of the list. Check it out. It might be a good option. So Naomi and Elimelech are married. They grew up in Bethlehem. They live in Bethlehem, and they decide to move their family once they have two boys. They move their family to the area of Moab. And in doing so, they, they start off on this family dream of creating a new life for their family. And yet it's not very long after they're there that the family gets struck down with tragedy. And Naomi's husband, Elimelech, ends up passing away. And then shortly after, her two sons also end up passing away. And, and they're, they're, her two sons got married and they leave behind two women who now you have this story of Naomi and her daughters-in-law, Orpah, and Ruth, not Oprah, Orpah, right? Orpah and Ruth. And these three women have now become widows. 
And so they're sitting there going, well, now what? What are we supposed to do? Do we go back to where we came from? Naomi's from Bethlehem and the, and the, the two uh, daughters-in-law, they're from Moab. So like, do they just go back to what they've known? And you find out that Naomi, scripture tells us that Naomi t- says, you know what? I'm going back home to what I know, to what I know has brought me some form of happiness in my life before. And I think you two ladies should stay here, go back to your families, find, you know, find another man and get married. Like you should do that. We should all just go our separate ways and go home because we know home Home brings happiness, and yet that's right where I want to bring up the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verses 16 to 18, picks up in that story, and it says this, but Ruth replied to Naomi, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. And so we have this story where Naomi's going back home. She's trying to convince the two ladies, like, hey, you go home as well. This is going to make all of us happy. Orpah decides to do that, and yet Ruth decides that she's got another path in front of her, and that she's convinced that that God is calling her to go with Naomi. Now, here's what's interesting. In the midst of this, Naomi, again, is urging Ruth to go back to, to what she knows, to go back to what she has already experienced, might bring some form of happiness, but there's an interesting, there's an interesting thing in the background of this story. If Ruth had decided to heed Naomi's advice, and just go back home, she also would be going back to the worship of multiple gods and idols because the Moabites were polytheistic, meaning that they they worshiped more than one god. And so Ruth had grown up in this, worshiping idols and multiple gods. And yet in the midst of this, the key line that Ruth says in this passage is your God will be my God. And so Ruth was essentially renouncing the polytheism of the Moabites and embracing the monotheism, the worship of one God, of the Hebrews. And so not only was Ruth leaving this perceived happiness that could come with going back home and finding another husband, but she left the religion of her people to chase after all that the one true God was calling her life to become. And through that decision we see in scripture past this passage, Ruth was blessed by God in that decision. And not only was she blessed, but she, she lived with peace in the midst of that decision. And so with this passage as our foundation, I want you to do this. I want you to think about a happy person that you know right now. Think, think about someone you know that's, that you would consider a happy person. Maybe for you, one person jumped into your mind. Maybe, maybe there's multiple happy people you know that, that jumped into your mind. I believe this to be true about the happy people we know in our lives. They all have something in common. Happy people are at peace. 
You see, they, they may have good or bad family situations. They may be introverts or, or maybe they're extroverts. They, they may be breadwinners or, or struggling with finances. They may be athletic stars or maybe they were a person that was cut from the team during tryouts. Regardless, when you're around them, you sense that these happy people have something about them. And it's peace. And not only is it peace, but I think there's three elements of peace that happy people have. Here's the first one. Happy people, I believe, are at peace with themselves. Happy people, they're they're comfortable in their own skin. You might even look at what they don't have and wonder why they walk with so much joy. You might think things like, how how can they be happy when they don't have fill in the blank? How, how could they, man, how could they just be full of so much joy when they don't have this in their lives? But happy people, you see, they don't hate themselves and they're not trying to be somebody else. They're simply at peace with themselves. But not only are happy people at peace with themselves, they're also happy with others. They're at peace with others, excuse me. See, happy people aren't holding grudges or churning on the inside, or vengeful. See, even in the midst of others mistreating them, happy people understand that their happiness is still their own choice. And so happy people are at peace with themselves. They're at peace with others. I also think this. I think they're at peace with God. I think true happiness in people comes from all three of these things. But at peace with God, I I believe that they believe there's some sort of divine sense of purpose, that in the end, things will work out. Even if they don't work out how they thought they would, things will work out in and through God. And they simply have confidence in, in God that allows them to walk through stuff in life that would otherwise steal their happiness, joy, and peace. You see, when you really think about the happiest people you know, peace is a common factor for all of them. And if that's true, then anything that threatens your peace ultimately threatens your happiness. You see, peace with God, I believe, paves the way to peace with others and peace with ourselves. See, I I believe Jesus, I know this to be true because the Bible has it all over the place. Jesus had a lot to say about how to get his peace and keep it. And so I want to look at another passage of scripture this morning that highlights a very important question that was asked of Jesus. And so we're going to flip over to Matthew, the book of Matthew. We're going to look at chapter 22, verses 36 to 39. Matthew 22, 36 to 39 Important question asked of Jesus, and it's actually asked by a lawyer. And this lawyer says this in verse 36. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So check it out. Let's break this down. We've got love God. We've got love your neighbors. And then we've got as you love yourself. And so with peace in mind, this is what this means. Loving God looks like making peace with God. Maybe you're at a point where you don't have peace with God. 
And there's been things that have gone on or happened in your life where you're struggling in that area. But loving God looks like figuring out how to make peace with God. Loving your neighbors looks like making peace with the people around you. A lot of us are living that right now as well where we don't feel that. And then as you, the last part, as you love yourself, love God, love your neighbors, and as you love yourself, that is to make peace with yourself. Because some of us in here are struggling even in that area of having peace with ourselves. Whether it's over something that we've done in the past that we believe was a mistake or we know is a mistake. And we're struggling not letting that thing define us. And we have, maybe we've got negative thoughts when we think of ourselves. But here's what I want to tell you this, this morning is that no thing makes us happy because it's all about the who Not just any who or even one who. Jesus says that what makes us happy is being in right relationship with him, with others, and with ourselves. Which means this. It means that Jesus cares about us being happy. He cares about our happiness. God created you with the capacity for happiness. And so some of you, maybe some of you have experienced life in a way that makes you think that God is actually in the way of your happiness. That it could be either, either be you being happy or you being a good Christian, but not both. Yet the truth is this. The truth is that Jesus revealed what is most important to him. And it actually ties into what is most important to all of us. And it's that God provides the way to true, everlasting, lifelong happiness. And so to resist God at the end of the day ultimately equals resisting your own happiness. And so then the question that I think of is how do we consider the qualifiers of our own happiness? I think there's two ways that we can kind of think about this. One way is to think about the what. To think about the what. Are there things that you were counting on to make you happy that weren't made to make you happy? Are you looking at the wrong things in life to accomplish the right thing? Because I believe this, using the wrong method won't help us. It will actually hurt us. Are you looking for money or or career success or excess or popularity or food to bring you happiness? The list goes on and on, right? Are we looking at the things that don't last to actually create everlasting happiness? Think about the what. And then the next one is think about the who. Look at who's in your life. If you're unhappy, chances are there's a relationship in your life that's out of sync. Whether that's your relationship with yourself, your relationship with others, or your relationship with God. There's probably something out of whack. And so are you willing to make things right in order to find joy that God has created us to have the capacity to have? You see, for a lot of us in here, I believe, I believe this. I actually believe that we allow ourselves to be the reason we struggle finding happiness in and through God. A lot of us in here, we are the reason we struggle finding happiness. Maybe we've experienced something in life that, that we get in our own heads about. 
And we start freaking out in the moment and spiraling because we allow our circumstances or our doubts or our fears to turn us frantic and hysterical when God simply says, rest in me and I will fight for you. You see, for me, nothing encapsulates this more than a video that I found years ago, and I've watched it over and over since I found it, about this boy who has a frog on his arm, and he's freaking out. He's in his own head about this frog on his arm, and I want to watch this together with you, and let's, let's check this out together. What's wrong, Bowen? Why did you poke the frog? But it's just a frog. Uh, I'll be really honest with you guys right now. This is cruel, but that video, it makes me happy. (laughs) Every time I watch that thing, I laugh every single time. (laughs) My goodness, you see the frog, I love this video because the frog is obviously harmless in this video, right? It's totally harmless. But in this kid's mind, this is the worst possible thing that could be happening to him. It's as if the frog has become a snake in this kid's mind, right? And the truth is this. We've all had frogs that we've allowed to turn into snakes in our own life. We've all had things that were smaller, but we made them way bigger. And we allowed them to disrupt not only our happiness, but our peace the love and joy that we walk with. I want to be clear this morning, though. I'm not talking about things like medical, like clinical depression. I believe that's a whole different thing. And I'm not saying that that, that's something we just can simply sweep under the rug because I don't believe it's as easy as that. But what I am talking about this morning are the everyday little things that we turn into big things and allow to steal our happiness. The happiness that God created us with the capacity to have. I want to take a little bit of a different direction with you this morning, and I want want to talk about the things that maybe make us unhappy. So the hard truth is this. The person most likely to make you unhappy and keep you unhappy for a long time is the same person that you can't get away from. You. Me. Check it out. When When I'm upset or I'm unhappy, the only person on earth who can truly turn things around for me is, well me. See, you, you have more potential to hurt you and make you happy than anyone else. And at times in life, we can become our own worst enemies. Here's what I mean. You can do more to sabotage your own happiness than anyone else. And I say this with confidence because I've done it myself. And I believe that as we continue to grow older and grow through life, we will have more opportunities to make choices that steal our happiness, kill our relationships, and destroy our future more than anyone else has those choices for us. And so the question is this, why do we do this to ourselves? See, Jesus talked about the idea of happiness quite frequently, I mean, you'll see it through scripture. He talks about happiness quite a bit. And some of the things that he said were unlike anything anyone had ever heard before. And one of these fascinating statements that he said comes from the book of John. And so I want us to flip now to the book of John. We're going to look at chapter 10, verses 10 and 11. 
This is Jesus speaking in this passage. John 10, verses 10 and 11. This is powerful. A lot of us in here have heard this. John 10, 10 and 11 says this. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So I'm going to ask for a little bit more participation this morning from everyone. Can you answer this question for me? Back in the day, a shepherd was in charge of what? And a good shepherd was willing to lay his life down for the what? So check this out. Jesus, in this passage, it's so clear. Jesus cares about your life. And he cares about your life more than you do or ever will. He cares about your life so much that he was willing to give his own. And I can't help but remind myself this as we approach Easter this upcoming week. That if someone is willing to lay down their lives for you, then they are for you. They're not against you. They're for you. And yet, when I read this passage from Jesus, it seems to be a problem, I think, with Jesus' illustration. Because if Jesus is, is a good shepherd, then that makes us what? And I don't, I don't know about you, but aren't sheep kind of dumb? <laughs> aren't they kind of like, thanks, Jesus, you called us dumb. But the truth is this, even though the shepherds were around to try to keep the sheep safe and healthy, the sheep are prone to wander off and hurt themselves, aren't they? And here's the connection. Even though God wants a good, fully abundant, just fully abundant life for us, we can be like sheep. We sometimes make dumb decisions and hurt ourselves. And so when it comes to happiness, sometimes we can be our own worst enemies. So why do we act like sheep? I think this is why. Because we confuse, time and time again, we confuse pleasure for happiness. Now this may come as a surprise to you, but God created you and I to both experience not only pleasure, but happiness. Both of them. God created us to experience both pleasure and happiness. God created things like fun, God created things like games. God created things like the cheesy gordita crunch from Taco Bell. Which for some of us is pleasure. For others of us, just saying, it's pain. <laughs> See, God is not against pleasure any more than he is against happiness. Which is none. But happiness must take priority over pleasure. See, when I was in high school, I remember it was leading into my senior year, and I played uh, a couple different sports. One of them was baseball. And I'm headed into my senior year of baseball, and our coach, as we're practicing, he tells us one day, hey, we've got this program coming into our school that's called BFS, which stood for Bigger, Faster, Stronger. And it was this workout program where they wanted everybody who was involved in spring sports to show up to this thing that took place on a Saturday morning, and it lasted seven hours long. Now, I went to a small school, which meant this. We did not do sports or anything on Saturdays. Like, it just didn't happen. You didn't, do, you didn't play a game, a game on a Saturday. And so I'm sitting there, and all my teammates are sitting there like, whoa, our precious Saturday? You can make us come in for this? 
We find out for our coach tells us that it's required. And so he prints off this sheet with all these lines and he makes all of us, wants all of us to sign this thing as an oath saying that we will be there. And I got to tell you something. I signed that sheet knowing that I was not going. (laughs) And I talked to all my teammates and everybody's like, yeah, we're not going to this thing. That's our precious Saturday. No one's going. And so BFS comes up and it's a Saturday morning and I'm sleeping in. And wouldn't you know, all of my lying friends showed up, and I was the only person on the team that missed BFS, which led to me heading into my senior baseball season, getting suspended for my first three games, which was a big deal, and it it ruined the trajectory of the rest of my senior season in baseball. You see, I, I did something in that moment. I chose the moment of pleasure and having my Saturday off over the longer-term happiness of being a vital part of my team. All because I wanted to do something that I found more pleasing for myself. You see, you can either obey pleasure, which will eventually kill your happiness, or you can obey the good shepherd who wants a full, abundant life for you. What's interesting is that Jesus talked about sowing and reaping. And essentially, sowing is basically planting something, and reaping is harvesting. And so we need to make a decision between two options. One, we can sow happiness now and reap both pleasure and happiness later. Or we can, the other option is we can sow pleasure now and reap unhappiness later. You see, when we're unhappy, I believe that we immediately want to do something to make ourselves feel better. This is where I go back to the story of Ruth. Ruth had just lost her husband, which in that time meant that Ruth had no chance, uh, no source of security, and no one to care for her. Ruth was being urged again by Naomi to just go back home and essentially fall into another marriage because that would probably, you know, that'd be the logical move for you, Ruth. You know, it'd be the easy thing to fall back into that'll bring you some semblance of happiness that you've experienced before. And Ruth, she could, have just, she could have just gone back to something she already knew would bring her happiness. She already knew she'd experienced moments, fleeting, but moments of happiness with something she'd already experienced. And yet in a moment where Ruth was undoubtedly unhappy with her life's predicament, she chose the right thing in following God over the easy thing in taking Naomi's advice to just fall back into pleasure. You see, typically in moments like that, when we're, I I believe moments like that, when we're faced with a huge life hurdle or something difficult, that's when we make decisions that ultimately undermine our own happiness. But I got to tell you this this morning. I already know you, a lot of you know this. There's no fix. There's no quick fix to happiness. It can take time and commitment to the right things in life. I do believe this is simple. I know overall this is not simple, but this piece right here, I believe, is as simple as it gets. Following Jesus, I believe this wholeheartedly, following Jesus will make your life better. If you sow better, you will reap better. So I want to ask you two tough questions this morning. I'll wrap up with this. Is there a pleasure that's stealing or or sabotaging your happiness? Is there a pleasure that is slowly taking you prisoner? If so, will you consider today 
today choosing Jesus over that thing? Will you ask him to help you go from sowing pleasure to sowing happiness? Because people, the truth is, your happiness is at stake. Your happiness, a lifelong happiness in Jesus is at stake. And I believe this, we all want to be happy. The good news is this, is that you can choose this for yourself. Regardless of your age, where you're at in life, I believe this, now is always, right now is always the perfect time to decide what kind of life you want to chase. Will it be one of short-term pleasure? Will it be one of long-term happiness with the good shepherd who loves you and wants a full and abundant life for you? And so just in a, in a moment here, our worship band is going to lead us in a, another time of worship. But that's my, that's my prayer this morning, church, is that we would, we would reflect, look in the mirror and go, God, what, what are things in my life that I'm chasing after that are just pleasure, that don't bring everlasting, lifelong happiness that you've built me to have the capacity for. And then just let God do his work. And so let's, I want to pray that over us this morning and we'll continue to worship together right after. Father God, in this moment, I, I'm, I'm just reminded of the fact that you do call us to be happy. God, that it's not a one or the other. It's not an, an either or. God, you call us to live a life that's fully abundant. God, my prayer this morning is that we would. We would chase after you instead of chasing after the things that only bring temporary, momentary happiness. God, just a, a slight moment of, uh, of dopamine hit. God, I, I believe you've, you've created us for more than that. You've built us for more than that. God, you've called us for more than that. And that's my prayer this morning, Jesus, is that we would continue to lean into the fact that you've called us to this fulfilled, abundant life in and through you. God, because you bring, you bring a peace that nothing else brings. God, I'm reminded of that as we approach Easter, is that you sent your one and only son so that we could, God, that we could be forgiven. And through forgiveness comes peace. God, through chasing after you and everything you've called us to, and not the earthly, temporary things, we find peace. God, I, I'm just humbled. God, that you would choose me, that you would choose each and every single one of us to go to the cross for, so that we could live a life full of happiness and full of peace. God, that, that, not that life is perfect. God, not that life doesn't come with flaws and mistakes, but God, that when those things happen, we rest in the peace of knowing your name is above anything else. So God, that's my prayer this morning, that we would worship and praise you knowing that you've called us for a time like this, that you've called us for so much more. We continue to worship and praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or our website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the sermon discussion.